Let me read from Luke 6, verse 39. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is the word of the Lord. Let me just pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word and we thank you for the powerful wisdom of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'll uplift us and change us today by this word. And I pray that I'll be able to say things that are encouraging and good. And we thank you that you love us so deeply, Lord, and I thank you for this church and its love for you. And I pray that you bless it in the gospel and in its work. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's going to work? No? Can you flip to the first slide for me? It should say something like, Leaders, Jesus in the Middle East. Hey, there we go. That's what we're after. Well, at 11.30am on the 17th of December 2010, in the city of Benarus in Tunisia, which is in North Africa, a poor street vendor named Mohamed Bouazizi set himself on fire in the street. According to his family, he'd been harassed by uh, local police again and again and again. And he had built up a large debt that day trying to buy enough produce to sell to make a living for his little family. He couldn't sell it. The police harassed him and he went to the local authorities, the government officials, to try and talk to them. But they refused point blank to see him. And so in the end, he attacked his own body by burning it. He was just 26 years old. This is the start of what is now known as the Arab Spring. Uh, it's a series of uprisings that's kind of radically changed the Middle East, uh, probably more than anything else since the British and the French left. 
The Arab Spring was a response, I guess, to the widespread corruption amongst the governments in those regions in lots of different countries. It was a response to the economic mismanagement of these countries and rigged elections and all kinds of things like that. Protests and riots uh, occurred across Tunisia from that point, but also in Algeria, in Iraq, Bahrain, Oman, Jordan, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait. The list kind of just keeps going on. And the Arab Spring is the reason that there are currently civil wars in Yemen and Syria and why we have so many refugees in Australia right now. I think it's obvious to all of us that leaders matter, don't they? The type of leaders that you have, whether in your company or your family or your church or your country, they determine whether you prosper or not. Leaders can be competent, well, they can be incompetent. I feel incompetent a lot of the time. But their ability to make good decisions, I think, is also based on their moral orientation, whether they're good or whether they are bad. The division and the heartache in the Middle East, which is everywhere, really exists because there's something morally and spiritually wrong with lots of their leaders. And this is one of the reasons that God and CMS under God is trying to send more and more workers to the Middle East to see a Middle East that knows Jesus. When Toby first shared with me this passage, he said, can you do the end of the Sermon on the Plain? I thought, how am I going to preach on this? What does this have to do with the Middle East? But I think the more that I read it, I realised, oh, this has a lot to do with the Middle East and what God's doing there. And this is what Jesus is saying, I think. He's warning his disciples against following bad leaders. He's not just warning them, he's giving them pointers on how to identify bad leaders and he's telling them this. It's a, I've put it into a rhyme, so hopefully this will help you remember it, maybe. The one who you follow becomes your foundation. Make the one who you follow the king of the nations. There you go, that's my attempt at a rhyme. So my first point uh, is this. Bad leaders, watch out for the bad leaders. But before I talk about that, I just want to look at the structure of the passage, um, which I think is interesting. And I love it when preachers go through the structure of a psalm or something like that. I find that very interesting. So um, here's the structure of the passage. And I think the theme comes out of this. I don't know if you're like me. When, I, when you read this or when you hear it read and you look at it, you think it's a bit of a hodgepodge, isn't it? It's a bit of a, like a minestrone soup of things together. What have you got there? You've got verse 39, the blind leading the blind, student and his teacher, and that get the log out of your eye saying, trees and their fruit, hearts and their treasure, people calling Jesus Lord, Lord, and then this house thing at the end. I think just kind of, what, how is this all connected? Are they connected? Do they have to be related? Well, I think actually Jesus did intend for them to be related, and I think Luke in his gospel did stitch them all together. Because at the start, you can see he's talking about Leadership, isn't he? He's talking about blind, literally leading the blind and students following the teacher. So that seems to be about leadership. And then at verse 40, verse 46 and 47, Jesus is talking about people calling him Lord, Lord, about following him. The big idea here is that Jesus is challenging people to think carefully about who they follow. Is the person or people you follow, are they reliable 
or not. A lot of people, I think, they model themselves on celebrities, whether wittingly or unwittingly. Um, I don't know whether you model yourself on a celebrity, a celebrity deliberately. I myself like Jeff Goldblum. I think he's really funny. I like his hand movements. Is he a good model? Probably not. But when you start reading a passage like this, thinking about leaders, maybe you think about your own leadership. Are you reliable or not? You might be a mother or a father, a boss or a manager, an Instagram influencer, any influencers here, uh, a Bible study leader. What kind of leader are you? I think the big vibe of what Jesus is saying, it's a warning, isn't it? After all, both of the blind men fall into a ditch. You don't follow someone who can't see very well. One house stands, one house doesn't stand. You've got to build your life on something strong. It's a warning. And I think it's suggestive that the second illustration that Jesus used is about a student and a teacher. A student can only become as smart as their teacher or what the information that their teacher gives them. I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? And I think this is where Jesus is starting to show his hand. I think he's actually hinting at the Pharisees, the Pharisees these, these religious leaders for Israel. And he's starting to hint to the disciples in front of him, are these people good or bad? What are they like? This is the one I want. My octopus teacher. Has anyone watched this on Netflix? Yes, you got a hand there. Who else was that? Yes. Oh, isn't it fantastic? Did you like it? Oh, my octopus teacher. It's great. We watched it a month ago. My octopus teacher is about, it's this documentary about this uh, older South African filmographer. I think he's a bit depressed or something. And he decides to go back to his childhood activity of going for a swim in the ocean. And he goes amongst this kelp forest and he's just kind of filming under the water. It's all rough above the surface, but he goes down and it's this kind of calm, weird underwater seascape. And he discovers this octopus that's very clever. And he goes back there every day to visit this octopus and see what it's doing and how it's getting food and all the kind of things. He's really enamored with it, almost in love with this octopus. But one day, the octopus is attacked by its local enemy, the pajama shark, and uh, it gets really scared. And then the next day it disappears and can't find it again. And he's so distressed by the fact that he can't find the octopus. But after a while, he pulls himself together and he thinks, I'm going to find this octopus. I'm going to work out where it's gone now. And believe it or not, he starts to track the octopus through this underwater forest. And he's kind of identifying the things it's been eating, where it's been going, what's hunting it. It's incredible. And in the end, he's able to identify where the octopus has gone and where it actually is. And he discovers it again. And they have a lovely little friendship. What does this have to do with Jesus? Uh, Jesus is talking about here, the next bit, identifying bad leaders. And he talks about the logs in the eyes. He talks about fruit and he talks about the mouth. And I think they're probably some of the most challenging things that Jesus says. If you go to Bible there, just flip back to verse 41 and 42. I'll just read it again. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck 
from your brother's eye. It's a bit hard hitting this little illustration, isn't it? It's about pointing out another person's sin when you haven't dealt with your own sin, isn't it? It's about hypocrisy. No one loves a hypocrite. We have a friend who used to say, the church isn't full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more, which I thought was funny. (laughs) Maybe you think uh, the Australian Parliament's full of hypocrites. No one likes hypocrites. Do you know any hypocrites and are you one? It's hard to read, isn't it? It's challenging. The next bit, verses 43 and 44. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Jesus is talking about how to identify people from what they produce. He's not trying to say some people are sinners and some people aren't sinners at all. He's recognising the universal fact of moral orientation. Some people are seeking good and some people are seeking bad and they produce good and bad because of their evil desires in their heart. You can ask yourself about a leader, does this person embody goodness and do they seek that? Or do they seek the opposite? Are they seeking themselves? You can tell from what they produce. Corruption, lies, murder, violence, shame and pain, they all come from bad leaders, don't they? And then there's verse 45. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. When I read this, I always think, is Jesus talking about me? I've got a bit of a motor mouth and I say stupid things. Maybe you feel like that too. What people say and what they talk about reveals what's in their heart. Doesn't it? I mean, this is all obvious stuff, but it's deeply true, isn't it? What people value, what they dwell on, that's what they talk about. Bitterness or kindness, truth or flattery. Well, I think it's interesting how this plays out in the gospel for the Pharisees. Jesus actually calls the Pharisees hypocrites because they burden people with laws upon laws upon laws, but then they themselves have get out of get out of jail free cards. They make up laws so they don't have to do other laws. They're hypocrites, aren't they? That's the kind of leaders they are. What kind of things do they produce? They literally get together and conspire to kill Jesus, who is innocent. And not only that, they don't have the balls to do it themselves. They get the Romans to do it for them. That's the kind of things they produce. What comes out of their mouth? Flattery in public for Jesus. But actually, they're trying to trip him up with clever questions. They are bad leaders. That's easy to say, oh, that's just back then, but I think we all know it's still happening now. It's not just in the Australian Parliament or somewhere like that. It happens in churches, doesn't it? This is a a podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, that I've been listening to, and it's pretty gripping stuff and it's pretty hard to listen to. But it's about the collapse of a church in the United States that was heading towards 50,000 people. So a big church and a kind of modern mega church that had harnessed the power of iTunes and podcasting and all that kind of thing. And it tracks what happens to this church because of bad leadership and particularly the head pastor, Mark Driscoll, who 
in the end was just really horrible. And I think it's really worth listening to if you like that kind of thing. It's, it's not all bad. It's about what God was doing through the pain of this church and the suffering. But uh, I just remember this story. The personal assistant of the head pastor, Mark, his name was Nate, and they had been flying around the world a lot, South Africa, Turkey. They end up in London. He and Mark and this videographer, one day they were having lunch with a local church planner and just meeting up with him. But this guy, Nate, had developed a double eye infection. I guess they'd been working really, really hard. He got this double eye infection. They're sitting at lunch in a lot of pain. And the church planner that they're meeting in London just kind of turned to him and said, are you, are you all right? Do you need help? And he said, yeah, I'm, I've got this infection. And his boss, Mark, and the filmographer, they decided to go off and do their filming. But this church planner stayed with this man, Nate, and said, I'm going to take you to hospital. And Nate narrates how this man literally took him by the hand and walked him through the streets of London praying for him. And he took him to a hospital. He stayed with him through the hospital and then he took him back to his hotel, just prayed over him. And Nate's just, in this podcast, he's saying, I was just so shocked. This just hadn't happened to me in my time at Mars Hill. You know, he's sitting there on the bed waiting for Mark, his boss, and this other guy to get back and he gets a text. The text isn't from Mark, it's from the filmographer. And he says, Mark wants to know if you're contagious. And that was basically it. They said to him, you can stay here, we'll go back without you if you are. And Nate says, at the end of this story, he says, by that point, I knew what Mark's character was, that he was dangerous, and that if I went down, he would leave me on the field. That's a bad leader, isn't it? And that's a leader of a church. I think we know Jesus is a better leader, isn't he? I love it, verse 46, you can kind of see there. Jesus flips the script. He's no longer talking about leaders and bad leaders. And he's not even trying to convince the people who are with him that he's a good leader. He doesn't go on about his own qualities or anything like that. He's just talking about following. I think that's classic Jesus. Jesus doesn't like to talk about himself too much. Even though he's the chosen one, uh, he's a humble man, even though he's quite direct and blunt at times. And he doesn't need to convince anyone, does he? He lets his actions speak for himself. He lets the message of God speak. And if others want to promote him, they can do so at their own discretion. That's the kind of man he is. And they do that, don't they? That's part of the power of John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, this man over here, I'm not even worthy to get down on my knees and tie this guy's shoes up. In public, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And I think people see that. Jesus performs miracles in front of everyone that show that God's with him. He's not a hypocrite. He openly depends on God and he doesn't condemn people, does he? He forgives people, he offers them mercy. That's the kind of leader he is. He produces good fruit. And in the end, he's the kind of leader, not like Mark Driscoll, who just leaves his own employee in a hotel with an eye infection. Jesus is the kind of guy who lays down his life for his followers. He's a good shepherd. He is a good leader. He is the one and only spiritual leader for anyone. And I think that's why he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? The people listening to him in Luke chapter 6, they already recognise that Jesus is someone special, even the Messiah. 
But just because someone says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean they actually follow him. I know there's not very many Muslims around here. I think in North Nowra there are none, and in Nowra there are about 30. Um, but I'll tell you about some of our experience with Muslims, and maybe they'll be helpful for you in the future. Uh, the other month I met my friend's carer. We'd just come back from Melbourne to Sydney, and he said, come out for coffee with me, and he brought his carer along. Uh, his carer was a lovely guy, an Indian Muslim guy who'd come to Australia because he wanted to... Um, start a sports science business, I think with soccer. And the conversation moved from his career to spiritual matters, as it does, and he asked me the inevitable question, what do you think of Muhammad? I don't know whether you've been asked that before. It's a classic question from a Muslim person. And I'll just give you some tips on that and what normally happens. Um, the person might ask you, what do you think of Muhammad? Not just because they want you to follow him, because they do want you to follow Muhammad, but they also want to know, are you going to attack them or not? Do you hate them for being a Muslim or are you going to be their friend and listen to them? Some people might respond to this question saying, Muhammad was a pedophile and a warlord. And I think the person will be very hurt by this and they'll never listen to you again. So I don't advise doing that. My general approach has been to admit that I don't know much about Muhammad and can you tell me about him? And that often opens up a very fruitful conversation. And as we've gone through our ministry and I've found out more about Muhammad and read the Quran and all these kinds of things, I've actually learned truly about Muhammad. So what I say now is that Muhammad seemed like a very humble and wise man who wanted people to turn away from idolatry, which is true. I'll try to say something positive before we get to some of the other controversial stuff. But it is funny because when people start to compare Muhammad with Jesus, they start to see that Jesus really is a much, much better leader. One of the guys that I was, we were working with in Greenacre, Dave, he went to visit his friend in Bankstown one day. It's like, I'm going to talk to him about Muhammad and start comparing Muhammad with Jesus. He started to share about Muhammad's sins and his failings and all these things. The man said, stop him, said, stop, 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 stop. Don't you tell me about Muhammad. I know about Muhammad. Just tell me about Jesus. I think Muslims know about Muhammad. And they want to know about Jesus. He's the leader that the Middle East needs, whether it's the Muslims there or the Catholics or anyone else who is there. Actually, in Islam and in Arabic, Muslims give Jesus this title. They call him Sayyidina Isa, which means our Lord Jesus. I think it's so sad that Muslims are often the example of verse 46 here. They call Jesus Lord, Lord, but they don't listen to him. In fact, they don't even know what he says because they're not allowed to read the Bible and no one has ever told them about who he truly is. I just want to say your partnership with us as a church, and as individuals, and your prayers, whatever else, allows us to go and talk to Muslims about how wonderful Jesus is. People who've never heard about him before and it allows us to invite them to follow him. And that's really powerful. And I just want to say thank you so much for that. Oh, this is a, a map, which you probably can't see very well, but it's a distribution of uh, our company's workers in the world. 
And if you have a look at it in detail, you can probably see the Middle East and South Asia are the places that have the least amount of workers. So thank you so much for partnering with us for this, to see the Middle, a Middle East that knows Jesus. That's what it needs. We need more workers there. Here's my last point, digging deep. The words of Jesus aren't finished at the Lord Lord statement. It finishes with this kind of cliched story. I think probably lots of us know about it. Um, it's about the houses and the flood. There's two men, aren't they? One builds a house. He digs down deep on the foundation and he builds his house on that. The other man just builds it kind of on top of the ground. A flood comes. The first house stands. The second house collapses. Familiar story. I think we all get it. Uh, every year, all five of us actually come down to Kurrarong. Who likes Kurrarong? Anyone like Kurrarong here? Yes? Oh, yeah, Kurrarong's great, isn't it? Um, and we go camping. Now, I don't know much about construction, but I know a little bit about tent construction. And uh, there's many levels of con tent construction, aren't there? Many levels of laziness of tent construction. I mean, there's the, you could put the tent out and put the poles out and not bother about the pegs and not bother about the fly. I think that's, that's bottom-level laziness of tent construction. I don't know anyone who does that. I think that's too crazy. But I'm often tempted by the next level, which is just to peg out the four corners, put the fly on, but not bother pegging the fly out. Anyone done that before? <laughs> I mean, that's susceptible to floodwaters. It's susceptible to wind ripping things off. Uh, that's bad. There's kind of the extreme, isn't there, where you can uh, peg out every single thing with pegs that ever wants pegs. And um, that's probably the best thing you can do. Anyway, last year, we went down to Kararong. My mate and I thought, we'll put up a tarp between our tents. But I didn't bring enough tent poles. So I thought, I'll use the tent itself, the top of the tent, to anchor this tarp. So I rigged it all out. It looked pretty good, actually. A couple of nights in, Rinka shaking me awake. Sam, Sam, it's dripping onto Freya. It's not dripping onto Freya, it's fine. Anyway, I look over, it's dripping onto our children. <laughs> I opened the fly and the whole tarp's collapsed. There's this huge catchment of water, <laughs> not, just, not just collapsing there, but it's pulling our tent down and meaning that water's going to our tent. That's bad. I think we all get uh, that bad construction goes wrong. That's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. If you don't build your life on something appropriate, it's going to collapse like our tent. I think it's really powerful that Jesus finishes on this note. He starts by talking about blind people falling into a ditch and he finishes by talking about this utter destruction and collapse. Have you ever wondered what he's actually talking about? What is the flood? It's not an actual flood, but does the flood represent the final judgment of God or does it represent kind of metaphorically the bad things that come in life and being able to stand against those? I don't know what you think. I kind of think I want to hedge my bets and say it's both because the wisdom from Jesus is not just eternal wisdom through the judgment into heaven, it's wisdom for life as well. It changes your life and moves into eternity. And if I can say this about Islam, for all its good points, and there are good points, Muslims really care about charity. One of the five pillars of Islam is charity, called zakat. They care about justice the Quran is full of verses about looking after the poor and the slave. But in the end, Islam is not about love. 
It's not about the kind of love that Jesus has been preaching about in the Sermon on the Plain, love for your enemy. There's no passage in the Quran about that. You follow Muhammad, and that means emulating to the nth degree what Muhammad did. And there's a rule for everything. It's very practical. When you take your shoes off, how to wash your arms, which way to face when you're praying, what side of the bed you should lie on, what side of your body you should lie on, how you should clean your teeth. The rules go on and on and on. These rules are ultimately about having enough good deeds to outbalance your bad deeds. That kind of love is not about other people. It's about yourself. And in the end, not even Muhammad was certain that he could get, actually get through the judgment of God. I think trying to please God by keeping rules either leads to great pride, doesn't it? And you've met people like that. Or great shame when you fail and everyone knows it. And in the Middle East, your whole experience of life is shaped by your reputation and your honour. Whether you're seen as a good person by society or bad. And I think our poor street vendor, Muhammad Bouazizi, he just wasn't good enough. The way of Islam leads to destruction. On a personal level, on a social level, on a spiritual level. If millions, if the millions and billions of Muslims in the world don't hear about Jesus, the real message of God, then all that waits for them is the horrible destruction that Jesus is talking about. Jesus has the antidote, doesn't he? It's digging deep. He's talking about truly and fully putting your life in his hands. Believing, like in the start of the sermon, that if you're insulted for the name of Jesus, actually you're blessed. And standing with the Son of Man is worth it. Believing that your heavenly Father is merciful and that you should be like him, because that's what it's like to be in God's family and not worrying about being judged or condemned. It means believing that hypocrites are bad and watching out for them. It means living a life of love and forgiveness just as Jesus Christ showed. So we have a few friends who are uh, ex-Muslims and have become Christians. I'll tell you about one. I won't use his real name. His name is Zakia. He's told me his testimony a few times. He is a Muslim from one of the Gulf countries and he moved here when he was a teenager with his family. And when he got here, he started going to the local high school, which had a large uh, Muslim population. And he found that many of the Muslim boys in the high school weren't going to the lunchtime prayers. And he was a pretty zealous Muslim guy. And he formed a little gang to kind of get people from being lazy to go to lunchtime prayers. But that gang quickly became intimidating and violent. And one day they had a bit of a run-in with some of the boys and one of the people in his gang actually headbutted another student. That's what happened in a high school. But Zaki always tell, tells me about this girl in his class at school. She was Christian. And he used to ask her again and again, how can you believe that Jesus is the son of God? How could you possibly believe that? And she never really gave him an answer, except to say, I trust him. He is my Lord. And to him, it seemed so weak. He just couldn't get it out of his head. Year after year, he just kept thinking back to this conversation. I trust him. He is my Lord. And one time, 
Zakir and his family, they, had to, they got so poor that they had to go to a local church and accept food. And just before they left the church, the Christians at the church said, oh, do you mind if we pray for you? So they stopped and they prayed for Zakir and his family. And they prayed for blessing and they prayed for life and they prayed for prosperity. And Zakir just remembers being utterly shocked. And he said to me, as a young Muslim in my country, we were taught to pray for the death and destruction of Jews and Christians. And yet here's Christians praying for me and my family. In the end, Zakir gave his life to Jesus. I didn't really know whether I should make this sermon about you guys here or about the Middle East, and I hope it's been a bit of both. Um, I think it's pretty clear that Muslims need to turn away from their leaders, the corrupt leaders in their countries or wherever, and they need to turn to Jesus Christ, who they already call their Lord. That's the only thing that can transform individuals and it's the only thing that can transform those countries in the Middle East. And you have a part to play in that when you're praying for us. God hears those prayers. And when you give to us, when you offer us advice and encouragement. But I hope, I hope this sermon, Jesus' sermon and my sermon, is some fodder for self-reflection. We have had a fairly reduced schedule uh, coming back from Melbourne and a lot of transition. And I think that's forced me personally to confront some uh, character issues that I haven't really wanted to deal with for a long period of time. I think failures as a husband and a father and a pastor and reading this, I need to keep coming back to Jesus and I need to keep digging deep and building my foundation on him, knowing his forgiveness and his love and that he's going to get me through whatever flood comes my way. And I pray that that will be the same for you as well. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ into the world and we thank you for his wisdom. We thank you that his words are the rock that we can build our life on. We thank you that he's the leader that can transform all the peoples of the world, whether in the Middle East or here in Australia. And we pray that we would trust you Lord, I pray that we would see our own sin and bring it before you. Lord, we thank you that you can protect us. And I pray for this church, Lord. I pray that you bless it. Lord, I pray that you fill these people with your Holy Spirit and empower them to be able to live a life of love amongst this corrupt world. Amen. Thank you.